Friends, welcome back to Leadosophy. Continuing, continuing the discussion about the zero defect mentality. You're here with an open mind because that is a rule, not the exception. Diving right back in with the fear of failure. I think it's important to reiterate that pe- some people are simply motivated by the fear of failure, even if their boss is highly tolerant of mistakes. So in actuality, your chain of command or the leaders up the food chain may have your back if honest mistakes are made. And regarding the Navy report or the Navy in general, I find it very difficult to paint broad brush strokes about a zero defect mentality culture, especially when a culture like or an organization like the Navy is so large. You're talking 300, I think 330,000 people. But my mind remains open to that, that maybe that is a pervasive one mistake. Navy is a real thing that's pervasive across the entire organization. My mind is open. So I think in any organization you have no you have no indicators that senior leaders are intolerant of mistakes and failure. I would look more at the granular granular level vice the organization wide culture. And again, that's if you have no indicators that your senior leadership are intolerant of mistakes and failure. Maybe you don't see that at the top of the pyramid, right? So you got to start diving down at the mid-level managers right? How do you know, you know, specifically at the granular level, how do you know how supportive your boss is? Maybe he or she is supportive, but again, how do you know that? Are you making assumptions about your boss that may be inaccurate? Is there a perception? Were you told that your boss, when you got to the organization, that your boss is very mistaken tolerant, but you come to find out maybe he or she actually is very tolerant of certain kind of mistakes, there's a line to be drawn, right? There's, and it's not always a clear line, which I'll say here later, I'll talk about later, but you may come to find out that your boss was not what you thought he or she was or what you were told he or she was. I think we've all been in that, we've been in that scenario where we've gotten to know somebody that maybe somebody else knew on a very superficial level and they, they told you stories or folklore about this person. But as you got to know this person, as you got to know your boss, or one of your peers in the workspace, you realized it was not what everyone said it was, right? The reality shifted. So a question you can ask yourself also is, am I technically sound at my job? Do my skills attract trust from my boss? Or have my actions, have decisions I made, made the trust of my boss and my skills kind of wane a little bit? Maybe I'm making some boneheaded mistakes or maybe I don't know how to do something instead of getting the right answers. I'm trying to wing it and I'm making just some haphazard mistakes and you start to lose a little bit of that trust. Your boss may become more intolerant of mistakes, right? Maybe under your thumb a little bit more. So again, I think a fundamental question is, do I trust my boss? If not, why do I not trust him or her? Why do, why do I think there is this perception of a zero defect mentality from my boss? Maybe it's justified, maybe it is not. And kind of shifting gears here, the zero defect mentality does not have to be an organizational-wide issue or even a pervasive organizational culture issue. It can affect only one or a handful of leaders within an organization. This mentality can be very isolated within a small group or department, maybe it's the marketing department, or a division. 
However, if allowed to fester, and this is what we have to remember this, if this mentality, the zero defect mentality is allowed to fester, I think even within small circles, the zero defect mentality may metastasize. So I think, continuing with that analogy, it needs excised as soon as possible so that aspiring leaders do not adopt this leadership trait, assuming that this trait is not contextually desirable. And by contextually desirable, again, going back to those safety industries, if we don't need that that idea or that concept of looking at mistakes as one-offs or this mistake may kill somebody, if we don't have to look at mistakes like that, we're not in that type of industry, maybe we have more latitude, maybe we have a more tolerance for mistakes. And, you know, kind of a side note here, I don't think we're trying to, I don't think Leadosophy is promoting creating an organizational culture that welcomes mistakes or or embraces failure. We, we don't want to be, I don't know if any organization can can survive over the long run if they're an organization that their vision is to embrace failure. I, I think there's kind of a fine line we have to look at, like, okay, we don't want to keep just making mistakes into infinity. Mistakes are going to happen to, to err as human, right? To quote James Reason, Dr. James Reason, to err as human, humans will make mistakes. We want to try... Of course, we want to avoid mistakes. We want to avoid failure if we can, but there some of that failure, some of those mistakes are going to be unavoidable, right? Where's the line drawn between that? Again, I don't think we want, I'm not, I'm not advocating we become an organization of failure and mistakes, and that's our mantra. We love to fail. We love to make mistakes. I don't know if that's the, the rallying cry I want to have in as an organizational leader as a CEO, I think everyone wants to succeed, even at the individual level in my life. I want to succeed. I want to have successes. I want to limit my failures. I want to be able to recover from my mistakes and failures. I think that's important. To, I just kind of wanted a little side note as I was thinking and talking. So there, some we have to think too. Some leaders have the they don't to like to make waves mentality. And my question is why, what leads to this? You know, and I think the squeaky wheel analogy works here. You know, the saying goes, the squeaky wheel gets the grease and some squeaky wheels get replaced. So I knew that when I was in the Coast Guard, especially in the officer corps in my latter years, I knew I had to pick my battles, right? And I would try to pick my battles based on it usually revolved around safety, what was best for the crew within the units that I was in command of. If it was a safety or a well-being issue or a health issue for the crew that worked for me, worked with me, then I was going to fight those battles as long as possible. There were some issues that were trivial and I didn't want to make a lot of waves about because, number one, I wasn't going to win the battle. And number two, it just wasn't going to do any good. It was just, it was a trivial issue, maybe something that annoyed me as a leader. I knew there was a better way, but I knew there was no way to get to that that point. And it, there's only so much energy you can put into certain battles, right? So there's some there's times that you want to make waves as a leader. You want to pop some smoke flares, let people see that you're dealing with an issue that is having a major effect for those that work for you. You don't have the knowledge, tools, and resources to 
to do your job well and you want the people above you to know that, there's there's times to do that and there's times not to do that. I think you have to realize, you have to realize kind of what the environment is that you're in, in your organization. I think that's important. So, so the zero defect mentality, I think it also exists. You know, it's one of those, some people are just trying to put food on the table. Safety and survival, man. Some people want to eat. Uh, they're, they're risk averse because they don't want to make mistakes. They're comfortable. They're getting a paycheck. They're not looking at, uh, being the squeaky wheel. And that's just, some people are like that. And I don't judge those people. Some people were in that position. They need a job. It was maybe very hard for them to get certain job. And if they say, if they perceive issues within their organization, they might be pretty tight-lipped about it and just kind of keep their head down and do their job. And uh, and again, Leadosophy doesn't really judge that. Leadosophy doesn't pretend to know everyone's individual circumstances. There's also a culture we need to talk about in regards to the zero defect mentality. You have to talk about a culture. Or is your organization a culture of competition or is it a culture of collaboration? Is there a competition for scarce resources? Maybe this, maybe the competition for scarce resources creates a very, a very demanding evaluation and promotion process, an evaluation and promotion process that does not support mistakes, does not support failure. So how does this come to be? Why is this so? Again, maybe it's competition for scarce resources. And how should an organization address this? Does an organization even want to address their evaluation and promotion processes that are very intolerant of mistakes. If they do want to address it, then the evaluation of the promotion system is an underlying structure that forces behavior, right? This is kind of like systems thinking. The, the process forces people to act and behave a certain way. If you have a very punishing evaluation and promotion system, that is going to drive the behavior of your workforce, not the other way around you're going to have to change the evaluation, the promotion system. If you want it to be more collaborative, if you want to change the behavior of the people and leadosophy's opinion. So again, to reiterate, I think leaders create a zero defect mentality environment when it is not necessary, right? So if it's not necessary, if it's not a safety industry, Right, and they're still creating a zero defect mentality environment. It's something they they don't want. These same leaders are responsible for dismantling this environment to tame it down. And we go back to the Navy report. So when when I read the the Navy report, I'm reminded of the difference between the perception and reality. And I think leadosophy, the spirit of philosophy in general, is understanding that everyone who was interviewed for that Navy report brings their own interpretation of reality to the table for discussion. They bring this, their version of reality to the congressional staff that's conducting the interviews to the experts conducting the interviews, right? Every version of reality about Navy culture broadly and zero defect mentality more narrowly for every view, there must be an alternative view about the zero defect mentality in the Navy. That would be my assumption. What are the alternative views about the zero defect mentality culture in the Navy? For example, I think 
I think I would assume that there's there has to be some Navy le- leaders, there have to be some Navy leaders out there who are certain that they are promoting a healthy working environment free from fear of making mistakes. Maybe there are a few or even many Navy senior officers who made some mistakes and lived metaphorically to tell about those mistakes. Some Navy leaders must be certain that they have saved a junior officer from an apparent career debilitating mistake. I would assume these people are out there, still within the Navy fleet, the surface fleet specifically, because that's what was really addressed in the, in the report. Uh, there, there has to be a Navy a junior officer somewhere who has a tale of a leader who lifted him or her up after failing. I would think that story exists somewhere out there. And then surely there's some Navy officers who take risks, who are not afraid to take risks. They are not risk averse for fear of failure. A side note, how can we learn from the mistakes of others, learn about those mistakes in their own words if, if one mistake gets you kind of booted from your job? I think that's important. To, those are, that's a real question to ask too. So again, those are alternative views of the zero defect mentality, which I think may be in the Navy somewhere. Again, they didn't find their way into the report. I don't know why, but they have to be out there somewhere, right? You would think they, there would be at least one dissenting view of the zero defect mentality out there. And again, that's kind of what I would think about as a chief of naval operations. Like, you know, where are the other ideas or the views of our culture it can't be all negative, right? It can't be all bad. I don't know the questions I'm asking. So here's another kind of thought I had reading the report more specifically about the zero defect mentality. Is it possible that some of those people who were interviewed about the zero defect mentality or who talked about the zero defect mentality from a negative light, is it possible that they were speculating on Navy culture from what they've kind of heard it was more kind of rumor mill or maybe the folklore traveling up and down the passageways of carriers or battleships and frigates. And I think it's important to note that folklore necessarily does not make the fear of failure more real, but folklore is a part of culture. It's a part of an organization's culture. The stories that are told as a part of that culture, you can't dismiss it. And if this folklore is fleet wide, then the Navy does have a problem at a minimum, a perception problem, and that needs to be addressed. So as I kind of round out this episode, I want to talk about kind of my view from the CNO level, the four-star admiral level. Again, a position I don't envy. I don't claim to know anything about. I get the kind of armchair quarterback from, from my podcasting room, which I'm okay with. But more questions and thoughts than, than really anything. So if I'm the chief of naval operations, I would start with these assumptions. Number one, I'd take the report serious, but I would try not to jump to conclusions or make knee-jerk reactions based on the report. And I said that in the intro, right? When my wife asked me, what would I do? I would would approach the report, the issues brought up in the report as opportunity, an opportunity to better understand my service and those who make it work, make it tick, those in the trenches, those on the ships, out on the oceans, protecting the homeland, doing the nation's work. You'd have to ask some hard questions to those within the senior leadership ranks, right? You'd have to have qu- ask questions that poke at the culture 
of the organization. And I think you'd have to demand honest and transparent answers. Don't tell me what I want to hear because I'm the four star. If I didn't want honest and transparent answers, I wouldn't have asked. I wouldn't have asked. However, hopefully I have a culture where you'll just bring those up to me anyways without me asking. Side leadership note, right? I would make it, this would be a good chance for me to make it very clear which type of mistakes are acceptable and which ones are not, right? And you have to emphasize again that context matters. Many mistakes fall in the cracks between acceptable and unacceptable. And if a mistake falls in a crack, I would advocate that we need to err on the side of acceptable or tolerable. Let us pride ourselves, our officer corps, our enlisted corps, let us pride ourselves on creating and fostering an environment, a learning environment that understands the frequency and unavoidability of human error. The frequency and unavoidability of human error. But again, I've said this earlier, we will not promote a fail-first mentality. We will not encourage mistakes as if they are the norm. right? And you can make the argument that maybe mistakes are normal. They're normal in the course, you know, we make mistakes every day. You know, we go to go in the fridge and go to grab the milk and grab the orange juice, right? Just weird things like that we do because we're human, we're fallible. But we have to remember that many of our jobs in the Navy specifically are dangerous and mistakes can get people killed. Think about the flight deck of an aircraft carrier. I've never been on one, but I know they're highly dangerous. Mistake tolerance may be very low to zero, to nil, But I would reinforce this as a great opportunity to reinforce that we cannot grow leaders in an environment charged with a fear of decision-making, a fear of mistake-making, a fear of action-taking. I think this is a good time to take a hard look at what kind of sailors we want in the Navy. Do we want a resilient officer corps? Recovering from mistakes builds resiliency. That's just a fact of life. It's not just in the Navy, it's in life in general. We want to make mistakes we can recover from. We want to fail small if possible. We don't want to make fatal mistakes, catastrophic mistakes. We don't want to make mistakes that get people badly injured or killed or hurt at all, really. I mean, it's be obvious. Do we want an officer corps that does what it's told at all costs? Do we want the definition of bureaucracy, the bureaucratic person, the yes man, the yes woman? Is that what we're looking for in our officer corps? If not, what environment do we need to promote to solve that problem, to avoid that problem? Our officers must be allowed some wiggle room. That's the bottom line. They have to have some wiggle room in certain areas for mistake tolerance. And again, on a long enough timeline, someone, nearly everyone I would assume will make what they feel is a good faith in the right decision with what they perceived was enough information. But that decision will end poorly. How do I expect my leadership teams to handle these situations when a person or a team made a good faith decision, they thought they had all the information, and the decision ended up having negative consequences? Again, I argue that context will matter in this situation. Right? We cannot expect... You cannot expect your people to be omniscient. I think it's a very important leadership takeaway. 
we're never going to have all the available information. We're always going to be missing information. The more you continue to search for information, the more you're going to find more information. You're going to realize it's going to take you down a rabbit hole for needing more information. It's a vicious cycle. At some point, people need to act. As leaders, you have to demand that your people act once they believe they have the information to make a a very rational, intelligent decision. Make a decision, right? You can't keep searching for information into oblivion, right? And again, as a leader, you have to guard against the pitfalls of hindsight bias. Nearly all mistakes, all bad decisions will appear obvious in a rear view mirror. And I'm going to kind of conclude with, if I'm the chief of naval operations, this would be this report specifically. This is a great time to reiterate our services values, my values as a leader, my expectations as a leader. And I believe the CNO, the chief of naval operations, the four-star admiral has done this. There's a very, very spirited document available mainstream on the internet you can find and read. He makes it very clear what the direction of the Navy is, values, expectations. I think that's a good starting point. This might be a good way to, for him to reiterate that document. And more importantly, if there's a disconnect between the four-star and the senior leaders walking the halls of the Pentagon and the leaders within the fleet, then the chief of naval operations needs to figure out where the disconnects are occurring. I would try to figure that out. Why is there this perception of a one-mistake Navy coursing through the fleet bloodstream, especially if I do not believe this is accurate? Or that's not what I interpreted my Navy to be, my organization to be. What if I don't want my organization to be that one-mistake organization and you're gone? I don't want that, right? It's driven, that mentality is driven from the top. And again, maybe the industry drives that mentality as well as far as the safety industries. But as the the leadership of an industry, you drive that mentality as well. And I think that'll be a good place to to leave this off. So that was, that was a, there was a lot there. That's a lot to unpack. I hope you enjoyed this, this episode on zero defect mentality. Remember, leadosophy is about using the tools of philosophical thought to deepen our understanding of leadership and of life. Thanks for watching. Catch you next time. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and check out leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.